Dee, thank you so much. Oh, for the love of God, I am so not a runner. Um, <laughs> and, and I hate it. Um, but I, I have this idea that if, you know, it's, it's funny, like when, when I first started drinking, um, when I was a little kid, my dad said to me, you just shouldn't drink, Becky, you're not good at it. And, and I had this idea in my head that all I needed to do was practice more. So I, I kind of am, am approaching this fitness running thing with this idea that maybe if I do it long enough, I will actually enjoy it. But um, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I, I didn't have to practice my way into the um, feeling that I got, you know, from booze. So I, I think that if I was going to like this thing, I would have liked it a long time ago, but I do it. Um, I, I do sometimes attempt to, to do it. Um, but anyhow, uh, my name is Becky and I'm definitely an alcoholic and uh, I'm really happy to be here. I feel like I owe the group an amends because I was here just probably just over a year ago. And um, that at that time in my life, which I'll get to when we get to that part, like right when um, right before Josh or right after Josh had asked me to speak. I had a, a major family traumatic upheaval. Um, and so like I'm, I was speaking to you guys a year ago and I don't know how much hope I had. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I know I certainly wasn't warm and fuzzy. You know what, if anything, what I, my, I think my message was is that sometimes life is excruciatingly painful, but I don't have to drink over it, which I guess is pretty amazing. Um, if you're an alcoholic like me, that's pretty amazing. But I, I wasn't talking about being happy, joyous and free. So, um, you know, maybe I can be a little, a little more, you know, upbeat today. I don't know. We'll see what God has in mind. But I just, um, I, it was one of those times when I got off and I was like, oh my God, they probably all need Prozac. Like I was just a hot mess. So, um, clearly, you know, maybe I don't see myself that clearly still because, or you guys are just really nuts because you invited me back, which, which I really appreciate, you know? So, um, because anytime I'm asked to do anything for Alcoholics Anonymous, it's always really an honor and a privilege. And, uh, I hear people say that a lot and I'm sure they mean it. Um, I, I don't mean it like that, but, but one of the main reasons that it just always is so moving for me, um, other than the fact that there was a time in my life when I wasn't invited anywhere. Um, it's, it's more than that. It, what it really is, is that for so long in and around Alcoholics Anonymous, I sat in rooms just like this one, if we were actually in a room and, um, and suffered. I suffered in and around Alcoholics Anonymous and I suffered wanting so badly to figure out what you guys were doing that you weren't suffering. You know, like I trying to, if I could just figure out what you guys have figured, um, then maybe I wouldn't every day be to be like, ha, like it was a toss up, a, eat a gun or, or, or have a drink. You know, um, I didn't own a gun, which is probably a good thing, um, but it was, you know, just always this God save me or kill me, you know, and, and you guys would, would share these messages of hope that I would, I would listen to. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm never the speaker that says that nobody told me this thing, you know, nobody showed me this. I have, I had shining sober examples around me all over. I mean, you know, my, my sobriety day is August 31st of 2015 and, and heck I've known Claire for over a decade, you know, like I've, I've had people in my life that were doing this thing I just thought that they were um I thought that either my God wasn't that powerful or, or I didn't rank because I'm still suffering you know and, and our book talks about it in one place where it says that thing where it says um if only I had what if, if only I had the spiritual conviction that he had then maybe I could be okay and, and I I feel that in my soul but 
I didn't read around it, you know, because like right around that section is where it's actually talking about is that we can start anywhere, you know, and, and I, like everything else I do in my life, I'm minimal effort, maximum reward, you know, like I don't, I don't get good at things. If I'm not naturally talented at it, we'll, we'll forget that I'm off to the races, which going back to the running thing is probably really one of the biggest miracles of the fact that I'm running is the fact that I suck at it and, and I hate it, but I'm still trying to do it in some kind of, let's, let's see if we can get some discipline in here, you know, and which was something I've lacked my entire life, um, consistency and discipline and, and, and just kind of like follow through with it. You know, I'm, I am a great starter, you know, a new broom sweeps clean. Like I'm always the guy at rehab that is most likely to succeed. And, and I have, you know, every time I go, by the way, you know, which is all the time. And, and, and I, you know, I, I always have, you know, therapists and people with letters after their name that say things to me like you have wonderful judgment you know like you have such amazing insight Becky you know that yes like as if understanding my brain was all it would take well then I would have been sober you know 30 years ago I or you know sounding like I understand my brain is even more important like I can I can sound good quick you know I, I'm I'm um I'm never, you know, at a loss to, to coin a phrase and, and, and I'm kind of eloquent sometimes in my speech and, and it's not that long of a book. It's not that hard to memorize and to sound good. And, and I, every time I would bounce in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, I would, I would, I would want you guys to keep me. And I thought, you know, like the only requirement for, for your friendship was this desire to stop drinking. You know, I didn't, I didn't really necessarily even come here to stop drinking. I just came here because I was really, really lonely out there every single time you know, and, and, and I would come back into AA and just want you guys to keep me and you'd love on me. And, and I'd try to get this thing by osmosis, you know, like sitting in diners and just running around with you and wanting your sunshine to just kind of like hit me um, without necessarily doing all the stuff that you guys told me you were doing because it just seemed very dramatic, you know, and, and drastic, you know, and, and a little unnecessary, you know, you, you would say things to me like that I was suffering from this illness that, um, from this fatal progressive malady, right? You know, this illness and, and I'm just like, I'm just trying to make my soon to be future ex-husband shut up and leave me alone. You know, like I'm not, I'm not like, I mean, maybe I can, okay. Maybe that car that I drive all the time, drunk every day, drunk with my kids in the backseat. Like maybe if I wrapped that around a tree, that could kill me. You know, like I could, I would have to like, you know, in my mind, stretch it. Like I, I, because I think that it's the consequences of my drinking is what makes me an alcoholic. Like, I think the fact that like I get into bar fights and, and, and I, you know, and, and I wreck cars and wreck relationships and wreck future and wreck plans and, and all that. Like, I think that's the stuff that makes me an alcoholic. Cause I'll, I'll raise my hand and say, I'm an alcoholic because quite frankly, like I said, I want you to keep me and I'm a really good joiner, you know, like sure. Sign me up, you know? And, um, but, but I don't even know what I suffer from and because I don't know what I suffer from, but I'm too arrogant to ask. Cause I'll never ask. Um, because then you'll know I'm not like perfect and smart. Um, you know, I'll just sit here stupid and smile and nod and tell you I'm doing great. And then wonder why I keep wanting to die. Um, I love that you guys read the tradition of the month and, and this one is the, you know, the third, um, the, the short form says that, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Um, I've never had that in my entire life. Um, thank God there's a long form, which says that our membership should be open to all those who suffer from alcoholism. I've suffered from alcoholism for my entire life. 
pretty much, um, you know, except for like the first, uh, you know, except for like the first 13 years of my life before I had a drink. Um, but, you know, I've, I've suffered from alcoholism for my entire life, not even knowing it. You know, I just think that because I don't know what it is, I don't know what makes me alcoholic. So I, I think that I just have, you know, like bad luck and, um, and, uh, mental illness that isn't alcoholism you know like i i thought that i was an alcoholic and uh, you know like i'm an out and, and i'm an alcoholic and bipolar i'm an alcoholic and probably schizophrenic i'm an alcoholic and definitely paranoid and delusional you know like fill in the blank with whichever diagnosis the last shrink had stamped me with i thought that was my real problem you know the anda and i thought that i drank because of that anda thing and if I can fix that, then I won't need to drink because I don't have a drinking problem. I have a drinking answer. Drinking is the relief for what I think I suffer from, which is this crazy head that never shuts up. And and from my first drink, you know, my um my husband, he's in AA and he says it a lot. Like he, I don't remember, like I love, I drink Diet Pepsi, like it's it's going out of style. Like, I mean, I drink from a two liter bottle. Here it is sitting here, you know, like, because who can bother with those little cups and ice and glasses? Like I drink like over two liters of soda a day and I can't imagine my life without it. I need the caffeine and I like the taste, but I don't remember my first soda. You know, I don't remember the first time I ever drank a Diet Pepsi. I don't remember what it did for me. I don't remember what I was wearing. I don't remember what music was playing in the background at the party that somebody gave it to me. I don't remember that. I just like it, you know, and, and quite frankly, if you took it from me, I could, I'd, I'd be okay with Diet Dr. Pepper, you know, or water maybe, you know, I've got coffee going too, but like, but I remember the first time that I felt the effects produced by alcohol. I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. I remember what it, what 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 I drank. You know, I was at um, I was at a party that my sister was having, and she bought me booze to keep me from telling, because my parents only had one rule. Like they used to think that like it was okay to drink at home, um, because then like we'd be safe, which was ridiculous. I think they were just lazy. Um, but um, you know, they I came from this wild, crazy house, and and my dad had like two rules as far as like having friends over to to drink and, and hang out and have those little house parties was like nobody you know it, the party is good until like somebody breaks something or vomits you know and and so people were always breaking things and always puking and I'm a teller because I want everybody to like me um and and so like somebody probably gave me a drink to keep me from telling and um and it's funny because prior to that drink like my whole life I was like paralyzed with this self-centered fear right fear of what you think of me, fear of what, you know, I know you, uh, fear of getting found out, fear of not being enough, fear of being stupid. Um, I was real good at being invisible. You know, um, I got straight A's in school just because it never occurred to me not to. I preferred being alone, even though I desperately wanted you to like me because it was easier than having to be that chameleon that, like, I walk into a room and I try to figure out who you want me to be. So then I know what I have to do to be liked. You know, and, and that's exhausting and takes a lot of mental effort. You know, like I, I was like, my mom thought I suffered from like insomnia as a kid. It wasn't that I couldn't sleep for the sake of sleeping. It's that I spent all night practicing and rehearsing the conversations that I might have on the school bus the next day. You know, I'm going to say this to Sally and then she's going to say this and then I'm going to say that and then she's going to laugh and then she'll like me. 
you know, but the problem is, is I get on the bus and Sally's sitting next to Fred and I already lost my seat or, you know, Sally doesn't say the thing I scripted and then I've got nothing after that. You know, like, I don't know what to say after hello, you know, I'll talk about the weather, but if I'm inside, well, I don't know if it's raining or not, you know, like I've got nothing. And, um, and I'm absolutely certain that you think I'm dumb and are about to find me out. And the thing is, is that day that like, you know, that Bartles and James wine, James wine coolers in a two liter bottle. It was, uh, it was like the eighties. That's, you know, it was like, it might as well, I had an umbrella in it, you know, and, and I'm sure they thanked me for their support as I like drank it down, you know, and, and, um, and I just spent a couple of minutes telling you about everything that was wrong with me before, you know, before I took that drink, but I didn't know that was wrong with me before I took a drink. I just knew I was awkward, you know, but but I knew what parts of me were broken after I started drinking because alcohol fixed them all. It wasn't just that I could suddenly talk to you, which was really a good thing because like I was so paralyzed with fear, I couldn't even order a pizza. But it was that like, I was sure that you wanted to talk to me. And um, I didn't, and it, and it fixed all of me. I was enough, I was funny. I could be thrown up in the bushes and covered with vomit and sure you wanted to hug me and have a conversation. You know, like I was, I, you know, I could dance, I could interact. Alcohol probably saved my life. You know, I have never attempted suicide when I was half in the bag, but I have stone cold sober, you know, stone cold sober. I can't live this way anymore. I might as well eat a bunch of pills, you know, stone cold sober, um, save me or kill me. Like I'm not scared of heaven, but this living thing is terrible. You know, like death sounds like a better option because I don't understand how you guys make it look so easy. And, and that's what I bring to alcoholism, you know, like that's, that's me. Um, like I didn't have a drink before my first day at kindergarten, but dang, I sure could have used one because circle time is scary. You know, all those kids are talking to each other, you know, and like, I don't know what to say. And they're already sitting down and do I sit by that guy or over there? And oh my gosh, you know, like I would rather die, you know, like I'd rather shoot myself in the foot than have to have that kind of awkward, um, you know, and, and so like I started drinking as a young teenager and, and I didn't immediately start like, you know, I, I didn't have a handle of vodka in my hand the next day, but it, but what it did do, because I'm all about, like I said, minimal effort and maximum reward. What it did do is it gave me that relief that I've been seeking my whole life without even knowing it. And I quickly, it, it changed the trajectory of my life. Like, I was a straight A student because it never, never occurred to me not to be. And, and after I started drinking, I never cared if I got another good grade. You know, I thought I should get extra credit because I, I got, you know, I got the work done in three days because why go to school five days a week? You know, because Friday and Monday, there's, you know, Friday, Monday, you're recovering. Friday, you're pre, pre-gaming, you know, like, so I, um you know, I, it just, I, I was get I could have gone to, I was getting invitations to Ivy League schools in, in, you know, young high school, middle school. And that all dried up. I graduated by the skin of my teeth, really, quite frankly, because I was pregnant and they wanted to push me through because good girls shouldn't be doing that. And, and um, like it was, it was, you know, nothing, nothing that I did um, got me, I mean, nothing I did educationally got me um, out of high school. But um, I just, that's how I drank. You know, uh, I remember when I was almost, I was just probably, you know, when it was still really fun in my mind um, and I wasn't paying a lot of prices yet, it was way before they like computerized, you know, um, motor vehicles, records and, and computer systems and stuff. And, and I took all of my sister's information into DMV and got myself a fake ID. Um, 
and I live in the middle of nowhere. Like I live in a little town. It's it's a it's a it's a summer resort town. So like you know, summertime people come and vacation here. But in the wintertime, like there's nothing open after three o'clock in the afternoon, because um, it shuts down like all all off season. And uh, like the liquor store sells cat food because it's the only place that's open. Um, and I would go into these bars with this fake ID that said I was my sister. And they were like, dude, she was here like five minutes ago. Like, get out. You know, like I couldn't, I, so I got thrown out of like every bar within like a 20 mile radius, but I kept trying, you know, and like the only place that would serve me was like the airport. So like I drank at the airport, you know, cause like it would serve me. And I quickly realized, cause I started having kids at 18. Cause if I don't, if I, if instead of going to school, I can just like hook up with this guy and he'll take care of me and, and start popping out a bunch of kids and, and, you know, talk about little hostages. But, um, I quickly realized that if you walk into the liquor store with a baby, they assume you're old enough to drink. And so like, you know, she was on my arm everywhere. You know, I would belly up to the bar with the baby seat and drop her right on it, you know? And, and, um, cause I loved bar drinking, you know, I, I, I came from crazy and, and part of the parts of like, I come from this crazy family and I had these really set ideas about what makes a person an alcoholic based on looking at my own family. And so from a very young age, when I got that relief from alcohol, I wanted to be able to drink forever. And the only way I can continue to justify drinking for the rest of my life is if I don't do what they do, because that makes them alcoholic. So I set these rules on myself, you know, and so I never drank at home. Um, and what that meant is I was never home, you know, like if I'm only, if I'm a bar drinker. So, you know, my big, my oldest daughter quickly became like the one that raises my youngest daughter because I'm not home, you know, or, you know, and I'm, I'm always, I'm an occasion drinker. So it's, there's always a reason to celebrate, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of that line in, um, in Dr. Alcoholic Addict, where he said that like, he didn't abuse pills. He had lots of illnesses and a pill for every cure. You know, I, I was not an alcoholic, you know, I was, I was a social drinker who was very social, you know, and, and, I had a doctor ask me that once. He said, are you a daily drinker? Do you drink? Do you drink? Yes. You know, do you drink socially or daily? And I said, what, what? I'm like, I drink socially every day, you know, and, and I believe that, you know, I drink socially every day. Like there's always an occasion and there's never anything going on in my life that that little bit of lubricant is going to make better, you know? And, and my problem is that um, I suffer from this thing. You know, it's, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a coworker of mine. Um, who's my friend also, and um, she is morbidly obese and not an alcoholic. And I was talking to her about what makes me an alcoholic has absolutely nothing to do with the effects. It has nothing to do with the consequences produced by drinking. Like if if you pour that booze in my cute little coworker who's not an alcoholic, she if 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 you pour as much tequila in her as I like to drink, um, she would probably wake up next to strangers too, you know, cause it's this natural in, you know, it's this natural inhibition reducer. Like that's the effects produced by booze by the nature of booze itself, you know? So like, I mean, if, 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 you know, if you put enough booze in somebody and they get behind a wheel of a car, it's going to be dangerous. The DWI isn't what makes me an alcoholic, but it's this thing that's in me. It's this thing like that, like, I drink because of what alcohol does for me in spite of what it does to me. It's that exhale. It's that relief that I get and all that kind of stuff. And, and which would be fine if I was a relief drinker, if I have one and I get relief, well then, okay, I can go home and not want to, you know, punch my husband. 
But the problem is for me is that I've also got this phenomenon of craving, you know, which means that once I start and I go for one, my kids wind up putting my, my other kids to bed. It means that I go for happy hour to have, you know, I used to all the time, we would say, let's go out for happy hour and then go to the movies. I didn't see a movie for over 10 years in a movie theater because I couldn't get off the bar stool. Once I'm there, I absolutely can't stop. And, and you guys use words like you talk about like this, like it's this, like I said, that's so dramatic, right? You know, and, and you talk about like this mental obsession, you know, and, and I have a picture in my mind of what a mental obsession should look like because I don't ask. You know, and it reminds me of like that movie Days of Wine and Roses with Jack Lemon, where he's smashing those flower pots, looking for his booze and acting like a crazy person, right? Like my, that's not what that looks like for me. Like the phenomenon of craving for me looks like I go in for one, I have the one. And as I'm, you know, and as I'm finishing the last one, the bartender walks up to me and asks me if I want another drink. And I say, yes, what took you so long? When I've got every reason to go home, no reason to stay, but I can't get off the stool. And, and this obsession of the mind, it's not smashing flower pots and drive into the liquor store in tears, fighting the urge to drink. It's me saying, I'm never going to drink again after some horrible, awful, humiliating thing happens to me. I'm never going to do it again, no matter what. Thank God I never, even worse than that, thank God I never have to feel that way again. I leave treatment with my gratitude list under my right arm and my relapse prevention plan that includes all my triggers under my left. And I think I'm safe because I've got the answer, right? And I'm never going to drink again. And what happens for me is, you know, those kids that I'm so grateful still want me in my life, like they're, they want stuff. You know, that boss that I am so grateful previously, you know, that like, I didn't lose my job. You know, a couple of days later, I'm like, he does not appreciate me. I haven't gotten promoted in like forever. Granted, I've been in and out of five, you know, employee assistance program rehab for, you know, five times in six years. But I'm wondering why I'm not getting promoted because I can't go to work, um, you know, and, and like and, and that loving husband, boyfriend, whoever happens to be sitting next to me, like the way he chews is just so annoying. I want to punch him in the face like and his voice, like if he says that thing, and, and it's so annoying that I'm sure he's doing it on purpose. Like he know he's doing that just to bug me, you know, and I just want to like rip his face off, you know, and, and, and what happens after that is, and I get this thought, you know, that like, what'll fix it, you know, and all of a sudden, all my reasons for not drinking seemed really dramatic. Or it seemed like your fault, his fault, the car's fault, the police's fault, the business's fault. Like, I don't have a drinking problem. I have a people problem. And the pro my problem with people is they have a problem with my drinking. And, and if they would leave me alone, no one would have any problems. And, and that's what I bring to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so because I think that's what I suffer from, like this circumstance thing, I think if I can just control my circumstances better, then you people won't keep trying to make me stop drinking. So I set lots of rules for myself and I, and I try to control and manage the, the circumstances and I try to keep the trouble at bay for as long as I can. And quite frankly, I suck at it. And so trouble keeps creeping in and creeping in. And I'm the girl that cried sober. Every time I get in enough trouble, I run off to the nut house because then somebody will help me. And again, I don't even go off to treatment because I necessarily think I'm going to get sober because by this time, I think there's no chance of me getting sober. I usually go to treatment because I'm in some kind of circumstance trouble. Like I hit a wall of some sort that probably involves either police or homelessness. Those are two biggies for me. 
um, and I need help. Um, not the kind of help you guys want to offer me, but I need immediate kind of help. And the only people that still answer the phone when I call are members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Dang it. Because what that means is in order for me to not be homeless, I'm going to have to go back to the nut house and do this whole raising my hand thing and coming back saying and letting you take me to the diner thing and all that kind of like that. I don't I don't want the kind of help you guys are offering, but I'll 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 ride along with it as long as I can to get the help that I think I need, which is usually you know, I think I come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not looking for God. You know, I'm not. I, I think all I, I need 10 grand and a lawyer. That's what I come to AA looking for, you know, and, and, um, and, and you guys are, you know, I call you up and tell you that I'm worried about my rent and you're like, you know, asking me to like, go give that girl a ride, you know, like I, I call you up and say, I need help with this. And you tell me to go make coffee. I'm like, well, if I make coffee long enough, will you help me find a place to live? You know? And so I do, you know, and, and my sobriety date is August 31st of 2015. I don't want to stay drunk for the entire hour. And and that, because it's just Groundhog Day. It was that over and over and over and over and over again. Fast forward 30, it doesn't last for five weeks, five years or five decades, you know, or five five months. And I, you know, I was in and out of here for, for over 20 years. On August 31st of 2015, it was absolutely nothing unique. There was nothing different about that time over every other time. It was exactly the same. I got in some legal trouble. I um, bottom is is a ridiculous word for me. You know, I don't hit bottom. I, I I roll around in the bottom and I hang pictures so it looks less awful. So I have a better view while I'm in the hole. Um, bottom for me is this idea of the thing that drives me back to Alcoholics Anonymous. That thing that people say, "Ooh, I hit bottom." Um, like that'll drive me in here on Tuesday. But but the problem for me is that once I pick up again and go back out, it's just my new normal. It's the price of doing business. It's what I have to do to get what I need. It just becomes a new level of hell I become accustomed to. And I'm really good at, at, at adapting to that. You know, my my entire life as a chameleon was made for that kind of stuff. Like I, I can adapt to, to um, unacceptable pretty quickly. Um, just by lowering my standards. Like I don't change my drinking to meet my standards. I change my standards to meet my drink. So August 31st of 2015, I got into a little bit of legal trouble, which seemed like a lot of legal trouble. Could have been bad, but anyway. And, and I texted the only person in the world that still answered the phone. Of course, it was a man. And um, I still remember what I said, like it was yesterday. It was a direct text. And I said, hey, Hardy, it's Becky. As if, well, he probably didn't know because I had to change my phone number all the time. Um, I said, hey, Artie, it's Becky. I just got arrested. I don't know if I need bail money. I'll let you know. Like, that's it. <laughs> like, that's my ask, you know. And um, and thankfully enough for Artie's, you know, wallet, they they released me on my own recognizance and I was back to the nut house again. And and what happened with that was nothing that should have been unique. Two weeks later, I'm about to run out the door. I'm sitting in a meeting and a friend walks up to me and he starts giving me the talk and he's talking to me about God and he's talking to me about, you know, about willingness. He's talking to me at the first step and he's asking me all these questions and I don't like it because he's looking me in the eye and I'm trying to look at his feet and he's looking me in the eye and um, and I'm smiling and nodding and I'm probably quoting a page out of right out of our third step, you know, and he looked me dead on dead square on, which I didn't like much. And he said, Becky, you've been a liar, a cheat and a con your entire life. Instead of talking about a God that you obviously do not believe in, and an experience that you are clearly not having, 
instead of doing that, how about you walk three feet behind us and do what we do? And I promise you at the end of it, you will come to know a God that is personal to you. And I'm not saying that's the first time anybody ever said anything like that to me. I'm certain that it wasn't, but it struck me right where I needed to be in that moment. And for the first time in my life, it gave me permission to not have to try to figure out how I was supposed to show up. So you guys would keep me like, he gave me permission to be nuts. He gave me permission to not believe he gave me permission to think this was all, you know, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous thinking it's just my pit stop before I go, I'm gone again, you know, but I have to tell you, I'm great because I want you to keep me in. And, and the only thing that was different then is I started walking three feet behind these people and, and they didn't just tell me to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. They didn't tell me that I needed to go make coffee. They didn't tell me to call them every day, which I mean, all those things are really good things to tell people. But what they did is every day I went to a meeting with them. Every day I took the steps that they took. Every day I took the actions that they took. I, I literally just like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, sponsorship is the best game of like monkey see monkey do I've ever played. You know, I just walked right behind these people that were sober and happy and not wanting to kill themselves or anyone. Like, from what I could tell, they were reasonably happy. And what I mean by that is they hadn't thought about killing themselves or anyone else in a really long time, which were two things that I could not say, you know. And and so, and they were talking about altruism and they were talking about God dependency and they were talking about helping other people. And quite frankly, I really resented it when I first started following them around because I thought I was just their new guy prop. You know, like I'm, the, I get their, their AA cred because like they throw me in the back seat with the nut, you know, I'm, it's their turn to take care of crazy Becky, you know, and, and, and I start running around behind these guys. And, you know, it's funny, a lot of my early drinking career, only alcoholics have drinking careers, by the way, but a lot of my early drinking career was wrapped around wanting to be a part of and wanting to be accepted, even to the extent that like, like in the very beginning, like I would even like fake that I was drinking more than I was if I hadn't drank enough that that phenomenon kicked in because like I, I can't not be the cool guy that's drinking next to you, you know, and, and like I was I desperately wanted um, to be a part of and, and booze is good for that and made it well, it was easy for me because it knocks down all those walls that make me scared to talk to you. But anyway, so, you know, it was this this desperate need to be included led to a lot of my drinking when I was young. And, and it sounds like that's a character defect, right? Like that sounds like something I should pray away, that I would be willing to go against my nature or my character or my knowing right or wrong to, to be your buddy. But, but apparently in Alcoholics Anonymous, all I had to do was like hang out with better people um, because that same character defect from 1982 that almost killed me saved my life in 2015 because I'm running around with people that are talking about God and sponsoring people. And they're talking about making amends and they're talking about their fears, the way that I talk about, you know, like, you know, a dinner menu and, and, um, and I wanted to be a part of them. And so what do I have to do? I got to do what they do, you know? And, and so if I can't, I can't have a seat at the amends table, if I'm not making them, you know, I, I said a third step in the Northeast of Philadelphia, like in this dingy diner that was really crowded with lots of people, with 30 of us, we hit our knees and said a third step prayer, like in a Denny's. It wasn't a Denny's, but it might as well have been. And, and I was not feeling moved by the spirit of God. I was like, it was the most awkward I've ever felt, like on my knees, holding hands with 30 people. I wanted to crawl in a hole and die. But I, the only thing I want, because I was embarrassed, because it's weird, you know, but, but I did it. Like, this was the first time in my life 
that I did things that I thought were dumb. You know, that I did things that made no sense, that I had the voice in my head that said, this is really dumb. And before what I used to do is I would, I'd smile and I'd nod when you were telling me to do stuff while my head was going, this is really dumb, but I'd smile and nod and then not do it. But in August 30 of 2015, I smiled and nodded and said, this is dumb. And then I hit my knees. Like for the first time in my life, my desperation and my willingness met my action. And, and when I put those things together, I changed against my better judgment. Like I wasn't, I didn't come here to change, you know, um, I wasn't trying to like, I didn't make amends to my dad because I realized the depth of the harm that I had caused him and wanted to mend this five-year-old feud. I, I made amends to my dad because you guys told me to. You know, because like I was at that spot, you know, like a lot of this kind of like depth. And I think that our, our program can meet us where we are, which I think is beautiful, um, where I always thought like I had to get profoundly spiritual before I understood it. But like I, I can take these actions today and I can look back and I can see and they can grow and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But like I didn't I didn't do any of this with a good motive at all. Um which is why, thank God, that it's it's into action. You know, it's 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 into what I do. You know, God doesn't care necessarily what I think or feel. He cares what what actions I take. You know, because I don't know about you guys, but like my thoughts and feelings can change all the time. Um, you know, like when I was a kid, I thought Pluto was a planet. I found that I was wrong. You know, like I so what I think doesn't really matter, and and how I feel. Like I I spent ha I spent my entire life chasing happy as if it was some like carrot to, to, you know, win. I mean, ice cream makes me happy, but it also gives me a big butt. Like it's not, it's not the goal here. You know, I had a friend one time who said that like when his sponsor asked him what he was looking for and out of these steps and this, this, this whole process. And he said, he just wanted peace of mind. Now, I don't know if he actually said that or if he just thought it sounded good when he was holding the microphone, but like that wasn't even on my radar when I got here. I didn't think I could have peace. I thought that um, that my goal here was to figure out how to, while feeling this crazy all the time, not need to drink. And and what happened for me instead was it, it's kind of like that it's been removed. Deal is like when when Abby Thatcher first met Bill and he said I got you know met up with Bill again and he said like I got religion. He didn't say I got sober. Like sobriety has become the byproduct of the life that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous and with my God that I wanted no part of and thought wanted no part of me. And, and like my friend said, that didn't come true for me until I sat down with another woman. Cause like I start running around and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm taking big book meetings into South Philadelphia where all these recovery house communities are. And, and someone asked me to sponsor them. And, and, and I sit down with this woman and I read the book when it says read it and we write when it says write and we pray when it says pray and my, I line my experience up with hers and we do this thing that we do with this book between us and this magic happens. And the same magic that happened when I'm doing it with this woman is the magic that happened with me when I, when I was being taken through it. But when I was being taken through it, through the steps the first time, I thought my sponsor was magic because I'd never had this kind of, I'd, I'd never wanted to not drink more than I wanted to breathe. I'd never had an experience where I didn't, um, where I wasn't felt like I was hanging on from my seat, trying to make it to midnight, you know, and, and I, I give her all this credit and I think it's magic. And then I run around and start sponsoring people and, um, and they think I'm magic and I know I'm not, 
like I know I'm still pretty nutty, you know, like I, I don't want to drink like, you know, this obsession thing isn't chasing me around anymore, leading me around anymore. But like, I haven't fixed my family really yet. I certainly haven't fixed my finances. I'm blazing through easy pass lines on the, on the parkway. Cause I got no money, but I got to get to the AA meeting. Yeah. It says in, in New Jersey, it says like easy pass, no cash. I'm like, that's me. I got no cash, you know, and I'm blazing up the highway trying to get sober. So like, I, I'm not exactly like this, you know, hotbed of mental health or anything, but, but I, I haven't had a drink in about nine months. And, and I take this woman through the steps and, and she thinks I'm magic. And, and that was when um, what my friend had said to me early on when he said, if you take these steps, I promise you're going to find a God that's personal to you. Because in that moment, when I was watching my friend D, who I sponsored, like get her family back and get her life back and or get a brand new life. And I saw her having this experience and I saw the light come on in her eyes and I knew it wasn't me. And that's when I knew that there was this power. And it was the first time in my life that I believed it. And, and, and our book goes on to say things like be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they have to offer. Ask your priest, rabbi, or minister what books you, you should read. I don't know about you guys, but if I, anytime I ever asked my priest, rabbi, or minister what books I should read, he didn't say like the Twilight series. You know, so like I jumped into these books and, and I really started trying to grow closer to my God. But I think that one of the things that happens for me is that everything always filtered through me and my lens, right? Like you say something, it goes through my brain and I hear it and I process it. Like you guys said to me in the third step prayer that, that for you, and, and, and I don't even know who said it, but some, like it's stuck in my head. We say things like the third step prayer is this agreement between me and God. And the agreement that I made when I made that third step is that, um, I'm going to take the rest of these steps and I'm going to try to throw myself wholeheartedly into this thing. And if something happens for me, when I get to the end of this process, I'm going to go around and try to help as many people as I can and give back what was so freely given to me. That's like this third step contract. And I had a friend of mine who summed it up by saying, God's going to take care of your kids and you're going to take care of his kids. And I liked that. I liked that analogy. Like I don't have to worry about mine because God's got them. Um, and I get to run around and try to help as many people as you can and grow this relationship with him. And this thing happens to me is, is I kind of, I moved back. I got custody of my daughter back, which was amazing. Um, and it wasn't necessarily through any, I became her better option because I quit trying to like make her be my prize. You know, I started, I jumped wholeheartedly into Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, and I took these actions in spite of my better thinking. And, um, I developed a relationship with my kid for the first time in my life that wasn't based on my selfish needs. It was based on me putting her first. And as a result, she wanted me in her life. And as a result, I got to be the mom that I never had been before. Um, and, and so I get full custody of this kid back and I start saying, they were right. God loves me best. You know what I mean? Like I, I got, got, I've gotten, you know, beyond my wildest dreams is if beyond my wildest dreams is attached to the results of my life. You know, and um, and then what happens is um, I moved to the middle of nowhere where I had been in in Philadelphia getting sober and and I can't run around and 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 rip the heads off of new people and drink them anymore because there aren't as many of them. You know, it's it's not like swinging. It's not like shooting fish in a barrel anymore, trying to be helpful. Um, and, and so I kind of hit a wall and felt a little flat and and then COVID hit. And I realized when COVID hit that like um. I realized how many false higher powers I had. 
like my routine was my higher power, food was my higher power, relationships were my higher power, friendships were my higher power, my work was my higher power, AA was my higher power, like I had a lot of higher powers, and I didn't realize how much I depended on all those things for my peace until it was all gone. And it was back to like that day zero type level of just me and God. And I said, I can either dig into this thing because God is either everything or he's nothing, you know? And, and so I tried to grow this relationship with God. And what that meant was, like I said, I, you know, I started going to church and I started reading books and all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and then right about a year ago, something really tragic happened to my daughter, my daughter that I didn't think so, but thought so was like my, my reward for good living. Right. And, um, and I keep saying to myself, you know, if God takes care of God takes care of my kids, so I'm going to take care of his. Well, what happens when he doesn't? What happens when something happens to my kid? And and this is where you guys found me about a year ago. Like I had just gotten this news. And um and I spent a lot of time really mad at God after that and really questioning everything. And and by questioning, I mean screaming and yelling and saying this is all a bunch of bunk. And, and, and feeling like I got sold a, a really bad deal. But the miracle in all that is that the one thing that I knew is that I couldn't, I wouldn't drink even if I could, like our book talks about, because something had changed inside me where I knew that like the relief that I desperately wished I could have was outweighed by knowing that I needed to be present at service for this kid, that I needed to be able to show up for her because she needed me. And for the first time in my life, I put her needs ahead of my wants because what I wanted was to not feel pain. And, and I spent a lot of time really mad at God. And, but the beautiful thing that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me is well-trained feet because I'm really mad at God in church. I'm really mad at Alcoholics Anonymous in Alcoholics Anonymous. Like I kept doing all the things that I was supposed to do, even badly. Like one time, cause I'm, I'm trying to fix me, but I know I can't, you know? And one time I, I go to church and they had a guy singing that I didn't like. And I wrote a letter to the worship director. Like, you need to stop letting so-and-so sing. He has a terrible voice. Like, God bless. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I was just trying to control and manage and fix everything. Because I need everything to be just lined up just so, so I can get relief again. Because I'm like stuck on me and I can't get out of my own way. And I'm in so much pain. But not only am I in so much pain, but I'm in this private hell pain again, because I've got to show up, I think, like this pain free person to support my kid through her pain. And also, she asked me not to tell anybody. So I have to walk around acting like I'm all good. Meanwhile, this horrifically awful thing has happened. And I was just I mean, I was a nut. And I'm sitting in church one day. And and I don't even I can kind of like I retelling the story is irrelevant but I'm sitting in church one day and, and the pastor's talking and he says this thing and 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 he's talking about how sometimes you feel like you don't measure up because look at your life like what about me God you know like look at where my life is and 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 I don't know why again like I've had amazing watershed moments in Alcoholics Anonymous between me and God and it's hard for me to put them to words because it's a personal internal experience and it's hard to put a vocabulary to the, to the spiritual. But what happened for me in that moment is that I realized that just like it says in our, like it actually says in our third step where it says like, he is our employer, we're the employee, he's the father, we're the children. Like this relationship that I have with God has nothing to do with what he does for me, but it has everything to do with just who he is. 
like I don't know about you guys but like when when my kids were little I used to say things to me like to them like you're gonna respect you're gonna treat me with respect even if you're faking it you know like like I have this relationship with God that isn't about me treating him like Santa Claus even if what I want is healthy children you know but but like so but when I when I align myself to show up to be of service to show up to be of servant and not even necessarily to God's kids although that's a byproduct but to God like what would you have me be then I tend to usually wind up doing okay and it was one of those watershed moments that when I put lights when I when I put it to words it just sounds like words but it realigned everything that I was and it just kind of, it just washed away. Um, I'm also going back through the steps, which has been kind of interesting. And um, cause I'm not always really good at being accountable to other people. I don't know about any of you, but when I'm in at, you know, day zero, my life is on fire. It's really easy for me to be honest with the things that are killing me on the in- inside. Cause they're not on the inside. They're on the front page of the paper. Like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that I'm a hot mess. But what happens for me is, is like my re- ego rebuilds and I think I'm okay again. And it's really hard for me to go to my, to my sponsor and say, you know, I think all my friends are better friends with each other than they are with me. You know, it's really hard for me to say like, I'm jealous of this, or I'm in pain over that, or, you know, I'm doing this destructive thing, or I'm lying about that because don't you know who I am? I've been here in five minutes and I think I'm supposed to have it all together. So it's, it's harder for me today to have that kind of relationship and that kind of transparency. And um, I'm going right back through it again now. And, um, and, and I've got a new sponsor that I'm accountable to, which, you know, just in the past few months, which I desperately needed because I can get real comfortable real quick with being alone with just God, you know, because like God knows me, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for me to like say, Oh God, I did it again you know, then it is for me to call up Claire and say, you know, guess what I'm doing, you know, because I want Claire to like me, you know, and, and I know that God, I mean, you know, if you believe all those songs that you sang in, in Sunday school, when you were, you know, eight, like God says he loves you, you know, that one we got locked up, you know, but like, I really want to be liked here and now. And, and so I can, that can get in my way and, and, and I can trip over that all the time. And, um, it's, Unfortunately for me, what usually winds up happening is that my degree of willingness is always connected to my degree of pain. And the more pain that I am behind something, the more willing I am to talk to you about it. And I I imagine the best hope I can have is that at some point or another, like I don't have to go through quite so much pain before I'm willing to say, hey, you know, and and with some areas I am and and some areas I'm not. And and I just... um, one thing that I think that it's really important is that when we talk about like happy, joyous, and free, and I'll end with this, the most amazing, profound spiritual experience that I've ever had in Alcoholics Anonymous was um, being able to be there and support my daughter after she was assaulted. It was being able to be the person that she turned to. It was being able to be the person with the answers. And even if I didn't know them, but, you know, like to be able to be present in that. And it was also the most painful experience that I've ever gone through in my life. And if you told me at day zero, that this is what I was signing up for, I would have told you, no, thank you. I'll take jumping off that bridge. I would have sold myself short. But I think that like, I get this idea in my head that happy, joyous and free and and a life of purpose and and a life of meaning and and a life of, of usefulness to God means easy. 
and 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 a life of usefulness to God rarely means easy for me. Like I've heard people say, you know, like I know it's God's will if it feels good. Oh, honey, that is not my experience at all. You know, because quite frankly, like I, you know, I am naturally incapable of doing what is good for me, just like my book says. I am naturally incapable of this stuff. So what comes natural to me is not, you know soul-bearing, earth-shattering, rip my soul open to, like, shine it for God, you know, like, that's not natural, you know, and, and thank God, like, I have these steps, and I have this God, and I have you people to overcome my nature, because this, none of this is natural, um, and, and thank God for that, you know, and that's why it says we're seemingly hopeless and not hopeless, you know, because we have an answer here, and, and, I just, I'm about, I'll end on, I keep saying I'll end on this, but I swear I will. Um, I'm graduating from college in May. Uh, yeah. And um, I like the, like the, uh, the gown is in the mail. It only took me 30 years, right? My mother, who I blame for my alcoholism for most of my life, used to show up at the psych ward and sit next to a man that was chewing himself, like literally eating his own hands and knees so she could bring me candy so I wouldn't be in the nut house alone. They would let you have hard candy. And, and yesterday I told her that I got like, that we're going, you know, we're going to get the diploma, you know, and that, that it's a done deal and it's in and I'm graduating and, and alcohol Anonymous doesn't pra- pra- promise me a degree, you know, but, but it, it does promise me a life beyond my wildest dreams. And, and I've gone in this direction. And, um, and I told my mother yesterday, that it was a done deal and she cried, you know, and, and like, and she cried and like, this is a woman that, that was sure she was going to bury her daughter, you know, and, and, and I have family members today that are proud of me, that love me. Like my family has never stepped foot through the doors, whether they need to or not, has never stepped through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, but they love you guys because you gave them back their mother, their daughter, their sister, their friend, you know, like you guys, like you guys gave me my, you guys gave my family me. And I never knew I was the gift. And if I spend the rest of my life trying to pay it back by paying it forward, I will never scratch the surface on what I owe Alcoholics Anonymous. So God bless you all. And I'm really happy that you asked me. And and um, I think I was a little less angry than I was a year ago. <laughs> That's all I got. Thank you. <laughs>